वेलकम टू द हिंदूज पॉडकास्ट हेलो एंड वेलकम टू द हिंदूज पाले पॉडकास्ट दिस इज जेकब कोशी इन टूडेज एडिशन वी विल डिस्कस द हिस्ट्री ऑफ द ओपन सोर्स मूवमेंट इन इंडिया आई एम जॉइन बाय एक्सपर्ट्स वेंकट हरिहरन सीनियर फेलो एट द आईडीएफसी इंस्टीट्यूट and who is closely involved with the open source movement in india i'm also joined by sangeeta gupta vice president national association of software and services companies so in general now you know open source has always been a part and parcel of software programming and code generation for a while and uh, you know there's been an open source movement you know there is the free software movement and you know a kind of commercially open source uh, kind of current so to say so in all this yeah. year since linux and you know all the movements that we have seen what do you think is the state of open source in india now when we started uh, campaigning for more open source in 2000 we had political cultural and economic reasons why we believed open source was important mm-hmm. and uh, you know politically we wanted to kind of ensure that you know uh, there is more diversity in the kind of players that uh, exist in the market okay. uh, that you know we were independent from a technology standpoint culturally we wanted to ensure software yeah. was localized to indian languages and uh, mm. and economically you know from a cost perspective if you were dependent on mnc's etc for uh, mm. core technology like operating systems <laughs> that's a drain on the exchequer etc so that okay. was the logic and i think over a period of time you know today if you see some of the largest e government projects in india are all running on open source if you look at some of the largest startups in india they are all running on open source so okay i think in a sense you know the earlier days where we had to campaign for people to use open source is over and uh, we are now okay. entering era where open source is the new normal okay sagita would you like to come in on that i mean uh, yeah. No, I think Mr. Jacob. So you know, I think in the initial years, when we like talked about, there was a lot of focus on open mm. source versus proprietary. And uh, I think from a NASCOM perspective, we always believe that you know, while it's important for us to promote open source, it's also important to give users a choice. So we mm. were, um, I think, our, our stance has always been about that. take a user should make a choice whether they want open source or whether they want a proprietary software at that point in time and i think some of the decisions the government took i think that has also helped propel the open source adoption in the country okay. i think one of the things holding back open source in the early years was really the lack of uh, enough capability on fixing technical issues that open source software may bring in versus using proprietary software which you know your regular vendor also knew how to fix an office or a windows which was not something okay. you would see with open source so i think what has now happened with all the democratization of technologies with cloud edge computing ai everything coming into play open source has become so much more mainstream and i think as venki said it's mm. no more a discussion about open source versus proprietary right it is it is a strategy that every big small startup is following and mm. building on top of that so it is it's really a new world in many ways i and i think the comparison with the past is a little irrelevant now okay but uh, venki do you think i mean when it's become mm. sort of like the new normal now i mean do you think that what has really happened is that you know i mean uh, proprietary firms have kind of co-opted such 
plat uh, i mean you know such op- open source platforms and uh, you know that the that sense of you know you know the, all those things about you know free sharing i mean yes it remains as an idea but you know do you think it, they have the big tech or you know firms have kind of mm. monopolized it is is that a way you would see it or would you more or less agree with what sangeeta's kind of opinion so i so to add to what sangeeta said uh, you know the commercial uh, mm. the commercial support for open source ensures that you know people can use it in mission critical applications like stock exchange or you know e government applications that are to be Up yeah. and running 24 by 7. So that has played a major role in boosting the adoption of open source. Okay. Uh, now, if you just look at the uh, the amount of code that is being written, what is happening, in my opinion, is that in uh. the initial days, if you look at it, open source was an imitation of proprietary software. So, okay. or a replacement for proprietary software. So Linux uh, uh. as an alternative to Netware or uh, Unix uh. or Microsoft. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, but now what's happening is the pace of innovation in open source because of the whole collaborative nature of software mm. development has outstripped proprietary software. So, if you look at the current areas where you know, which is explore, exploding big data analytics, etc., mm. you see that the pace of innovation in open source is so rapid that there is no proprietary competitor that has, you know, okay. that has evolved in. So, in a sense, we are in an open source 2.0 era where. You know, okay. we're no longer catching up with proprietary software, but we have kind of leapfrogged. Uh, okay. And I think uh, you know, we see that pragmatism with uh, things like you know Microsoft uh, embracing open Get source and, and Microsoft that. joining the Open Invention Network. And you know, so now, uh, what they are realizing is that open source is not a competitor, but maybe an open office is a competitor to Microsoft Office. Maybe a That's Linux true. is a competitor to Windows NT, etc. Correct. So you know, all of this works well at a global level. But uh, Sagita, I mean, to just come back to you, uh, you know, you know, one of the things about open source was that you know it would democratize code creation, and you know, more trained coders and all could use basic tools to you know make. Sh- commercial products i mean that's been the trend and you know that has i mean we we have seen you know fantastic all kinds of you know new applications emerge and you also said that government in india had uh, uh, kind of you know uh, been positive in some aspects in in kinds of embracing the several state governments have in their policies you know to promote open source but practically speaking do you think enough has been done by government by the tech industry etc to promote open source technologies and you know even i mean you know introduce those cultures or introduce you know learning tools in curricula you know in software you know in engineering programs or computer science programs or you know other diploma programs i mean how do you how do you see it so i think i first want to address the you know the question that venki was answering which is about you know um what are the skills that you would need if uh, mm. you know for india for india to be a more successful player in the open source space and this was a conversation i was having with ceo of one of the large companies and mm. they said you know today the skill i need in my engineers is not so much to build the next open source for say computer vision there are so many open source tools and software and code out there what i need is the smart api integrator right somebody who knows what to do and mm. switch it all together so i think we are in this era where uh, 
some of the code may be commoditized, but I think the people who can be the architects to stitch everything together or be the API integrators, I think that would be the new skill and demand that will determine the future of innovation. So that was just one point I wanted to park. Okay. I think the second part was the, you know, are we doing enough? I think, you know, the education in universities in India continues to lag, right? Mm. I mean, uh, I think that's something that uh, we've talked about for a very, very long time, that the curriculum does not change fast enough. I think it's good to now see at least uh, mm. AICT and others introduce, uh, you know, new courses on some of these newer technology areas. Uh, I think NASCOM itself is trying to do a number of things to upskill the developers and the students and, you know, bring the industry academia connect that is needed. How better you can leverage open source and what's out there? Because I think if you read all the surveys of, you know, what's happening in open source, a lot of developers don't know how to start, right? So okay. I think uh, it is also about helping them discover how do you make open source much, much more relevant. But clearly, I agree that we need to do much more on upgrading curriculum, introducing all these new open source tools and technologies, getting more students to contribute to code that is getting built on a GitHub or a top coders and other such places. Yeah, but but then don't you think we've we've lost much? I mean, do you think we have lost much ground? You know, in in all those years, because yes, we have all the computer science curricula, and you know, in all in in, in all that's the number one field where everybody aspires. I mean, among among you know, a, 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 a demographic of students. But you know, if if after decades, you know, we are still are we still playing catch up to what the rest of the world is or, you know, do I you think? I think of this differently, Jacob, saying that, you know, the first era where open source was more mm. visible was the era for services in India, right? And that is where we were more building what our customers wanted us to build. And hence, if they said do proprietary, we did proprietary. If they said open source, we did open source. Mm. I think in the current era where you're seeing more startups, internet companies, technology companies emerge from India, uh, I think we have an opportunity to reset this equation uh, with, you know, building out new technology solutions on open source or contributing to the open source movement than what we did in the previous era. So, yes, it may be a bit of mm. catching up still if you compare to the U.S. and the Chinas of the world. Mm. But I think at least from an era where we were purely a services-dominated industry, mm. uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a new era where we can be a much more significant player than we have been in the past. Okay. Venki, do you kind of... Yeah, I was very keen to jump in (laughs) that to what Sangeeta said. Uh, I think there are pockets where India has done well in terms of open source leadership. So Mm. uh, I think we have been uh, great at, you know, adopting it and using it in national level IT projects. Mm. Uh, Then we've seen pockets, for example, the Julia programming language, which is the world-class okay. programming language has been, you know, created partly out of Bangalore, partly out of MIT. Okay. Uh, then there are, you know, IIT Bombay has got this project under Professor Kannan Mosdalia, mm. which is called Spoken Tutorials, where, uh, you know, okay. modules on how to use, say, Java, or, sorry, not Java, but Python and these kind of programming languages mm. and open source tools are created and, you know, translated into multiple languages. Okay. Uh, but we could have much more. And I think the way we should do this is that we should say that, you know, these are the national level missions that we have. And, uh, mm. and for example, you know, if you look at, say, the way China has become a leader in AI, 
Okay. They have ensured that the entire ecosystem is, you know, following up and uh, mm. said that this is a strategic vision. These are the capabilities that we need to build, okay. and they have gone about funding the universities to make that happen. So. We also need to do something that level. So is it a matter of so you use the term pocket? So, but is that's this? I mean, you know, in every kind of technological area, you know, we always have these pockets of excellence. You know, there's always uh, in every you know in every emerging area, we always have this you know one group or one research group which is doing cutting edge work at comparable with the best in the world. But unfortunately, this profit, it, it no, they always many times remain in isolation, and you know. It's, yes, that is, as you say, pockets of excellence. But uh, I mean, what can we do beyond those pockets to make the pocket into a, I don't know, a sack or something, you know, or you know, a, something so, that so is more. Many years ago, many yeah. years ago, I met with Lester Thuro, the noted economist, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I asked him how does he compare India and China, and he said India is an enclave economy. So you have these pockets of excellence like the IITs and, you know, then you yeah. have the notion of mediocrity, which is our broad-based education system. Yeah. And I think uh, there is fundamentally, you know, we have never had a, a great focus on education and strengthening that. And I think uh, yeah. unless and until we fundamentally fix that plumbing, uh, we will have to be an enclave economy where we have pockets of excellence mm. in a notion of mediocrity. Sangeeta, do you think... I mean, as an industry, I mean, from the, you know, as, as industry, so, so to say, you know, I mean, we have the Infosys, you know, we are such fantastic world, world-class companies, but, you know, they too somehow have not been able to fix this pockets of excellence problem. I mean, would you have, a, I mean, is, I mean, from the perspective of industry or do you see there is, I mean, can they use their resources better or is it, uh, are there more creative avenues that could be tapped but are not being tapped? Any ideas in this? So I, I think it's a great question, uh, Jacob. So, so if, you know, if we track the history of Indian IT, including what's happening now, I think we've done well in areas where it's about applying technology to build solutions. But mm. I, but our focus on creating new technology. Mm. I think it'll be very limited to the pockets of excellence that Venki spoke about. And uh, I think the biggest reason for lack of that has been because I think the industry and academia tend to work in silos. There is no Stanford program here. There is no large scale industry, government, university program that China would drive. Uh, Mm. So we're all doing our own thing, but we are not necessarily uh, focusing on building new technology that can potentially change the world or change whatever is getting built out. Mm. And I think to build that, uh, you know, new to the world technology, uh, we require very deep investments. So if India could do an ISRO uh, so many years back, I think we have to think of institutional processes like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's one example, but there could be multiple of such things if we really want to go out and do it. Um, mm. The pockets of excellence will happen only with the small amount of investments that are currently being done. And I think every stakeholder, government, industry, developers, academia would mm. have a role to play. But I, I think there has to be a national level thinking about creating yeah. newer innovation that is unique to India. But uh, so do you think there is a, I mean, so is it a matter of money that is not enough investment has been put into expanding pockets of influence? Or do you think, like, for example, you mentioned that, you know, we've not, we don't have enough global collaboration like Stanford and uh, that 
that you mentioned. I mean, is it also that we don't have enough center-state kind of, uh, you know, linkages enough? I mean, center somehow gets a lot of money and announces major programs, spending billions into this and billions into that. But, you know, um, you know, rarely by the time it percolates down or, you know, it's always nitty-gritties between center-state, you know, that kind of gets caught up. So is it a, a lack of money plus lack of center-state collaboration that also could have, you know, thwarted the expansion of pockets? Sangeeta, what do you have to say? I, I, I probably don't know enough to comment on the lack of center-state in an issue like this, mm. uh, Jacob. Uh, because I think, you know, if you see some of the uh, mm. larger universities, like the IITs, which are doing some pioneering work, some mm. come under center, some of the NITs may come under the state. So okay. I would... You know, I would just little struggle to define if it's a center. No, I mean more like you know the center always says you know we are you're marking so many crores and so many thousands for let's say some you know uh, you know uh, you know a uh, uh, supercomputing grid or you know uh, as an example. But you know the center makes commitments in terms of money and all that. But uh, ultimately, you need the states also to uh, you know to tie up with them. It's, it's, that's what I mean. Yeah, I the after Sangeeta finished, but uh, yeah. you know, I'd love to jump in after Sangeeta. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so, so you know, I'll, I'll give it a short answer. Thing that I think these are national level missions which require collaboration mm. between the different stakeholders, center, state, international, local. It requires mm. everybody to come together to make this happen. I think okay. what's holding this back is money is one big issue, but also it is the focus, vision, and direction. I think all of that is needed if we had to go out and, and really make mm. India a leader in the open source technology. Okay. Yeah, Venki, uh, yeah, please. So I agree with uh, Sangeeta on the focus, vision, and direction. I think that's an area which is sorely lacking. Mm. I disagree with Sangeeta on the money bit because I think education, there is money that has been allocated Mm. But if you talk to people who are in the education sector, they'll say that, you know, this is one of the most corrupt ministries anywhere across India. So, mm. amount of leakage that could be plugged and the amount of money that could actually be spent on uh, mm. students is, you know, so it's not a lack of money. I think in India, most of the problems are not because of lack of money. It's mostly because of the lack of vision. Yeah. So, the question is, you know, what is what does education... I mean, you know, any student who comes in, joins the kindergarten, mm. he is, you know, so the system has to prepare him for a life, you know, 12 years down the road when he comes out of uh, mm. of college or, you know, or uh, or his uh, school. Yeah. But, uh, so what is the world looking like 12 years down the line? Where is, who's thinking about that? You know, uh, right. we are still for, forcing people to mug up textbooks and today you don't need to mug up anything you know you Correct. have everything at your fingertips mm. if you have access to a mobile phone etc so Correct. the world is dramatically changing our mm. unfortunately our education system is still an industrial era relic Correct. You know, you mentioned this, you know, so this is one of this, uh, I mean, this is one of these promises of the, you know, of the open source era that, you know, uh, that now we literally have any information that we want at our fingertips. See, but the one, another, you know, you know, historical complexity in India has always been the divisions imposed by language. So, uh, I mean, yes, I mean, the, the promise of open source and, you know, was, was that, you know, uh, you know, developers everywhere i mean if if you had the interest and the and the willingness you know you could you know you know you know you you could learn to code you could make your own kind of solutions you know and apply them to various contexts 
but many indians and indians might have the maximum number of phones and all that in the world but indians most indians continue to be passive consumers of tech products now my question uh, i'll start with venki first question venki is do you think india is not unique in terms of the rest of the world and that there are always just few creators and everybody else is just a, a passive con- consumer or do you think the you know the barriers imposed by language and you know uh, and the, and and i mean and the barriers of just limited access to technical education do you think that has just then made the this digital digital divide that used that you know used to be talked about do you think that digital divide is the same as it was let's say 20 years ago do you think it is narrowing is it widening so have we really made substantial gains as opposed to just illusory you know promise you know illusory gains as yeah. what do you have to say to that well if you look at uh, bridging the digital divide i think the fact that you have the mobile phone in the hands of mm. i think what about 250 million 300 million people today Mm. you know that's the first computing device that they have so to that extent uh, that has bridged the di- digital divide okay. combined with the fact that bandwidth has become far far cheaper uh, in india mm. so if you look at uh, the largest uh, youtube channels uh, these are all in you know the three largest uh, out of the top 10 uh, youtube channels are all indian channels oh yeah so uh, so i think that has changed a lot of things but uh, Mm. in terms of consuming say technical content which is mm. relevant to open source etc there are also these platforms that uh, the iits have built the national mm. program on technology enabled learning etc yeah. then uh, tremendous work being done out of iit bombay around the yeah. spoken tutorials uh, but i think we really also need to work on the mindsets of people i think we now mm. in a era where people have to continuously update themselves every mm. every couple of years so you know just doing rote learning and passing uh, a rote learning examination yeah. is the wrong way to prepare people for the next uh, 15 years of their life sangeeta do you think the digital divide has been uh, bridged in some way in terms of uh, access to uh, you know access to knowledge and not just you know consumers of you know video content so to say or entertainment i mean do you, what meaningful change has been brought about in terms of bridging the digital divide according to you so i think um, you know one is i think to comment venki's thing uh, mm. on root learning if you read today i think everybody believes the memory yeah. is no more going to be a learn- is a is memory no more a skill that you will be needing in this decade right so clearly mm. if it's not a skill why do we need to focus our university system so much on root education so uh, yeah. i fully agree with that point i think if you look at digital divide um, i think the first part of it is about access where you may have your low hanging use cases like an entertainment or mm. paying bills etc which i think has been addressed to a great extent because the computer was always something which was only english language it was always expensive as a tool and a technology it was always meant for a few mm. people who could afford to have it i okay. think the availability of the smartphone combined with very very low uh, cheap data has enabled a lot of access uh, mm. for people and okay. i think you know i believe while the use cases are starting with entertainment and you know some of the other things mm. there is 
there is hope that we will get into more effective yeah. usage whether it's for healthcare or education or government okay. solutions that can help the country at large some of these will be locally built for india and yeah. some of these uh, may be solutions that we will still adopt from other markets but okay. i do believe that you know many of these entertainment applications have mm. played a role for uh removing the fear of technology from people's mind yeah that's a good point it's almost like you know some folks who want to make uh, fantastic tiktok videos i mean yeah. you know who 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 will now learn you know video editing tools and just to ensure that their video is great will also which in a sense be, have, yeah which, which they would have never done with those complex coral draws and other that we had earlier right yeah that's Where, a fantastic yeah, point technology was a barrier at that time Great, and uh, so now just moving on from this, you know, there was a time when you know open source and proprietary used to be, you know, those debates used to be around the framework of you know the patenting of software, etc. So, um, you know, uh, you know, but even today, I mean, now we've we're into AI and there is machine learning, Internet of Things, you know, new new acronyms have kind of taken over the technological space. So. Uh, but you know i believe multinationals still continue continue to be the biggest patentees in india even in, you know even in software related application and those uh, those spheres so uh, do these i mean does do, do these debates really have any meaning now in the sense of the the, the very idea of open source we have have we moved into a post open source era and Uh, i mean what i mean in terms of just you know making a you know kind of patenting stuff or you know you know uh, i mean are there any gains that we have made venki i mean what what do you think about this i mean, are we have has the debate completely shifted away from this so i think we will continuously see pressure on uh, on the indian government to allow for patenting of software so Okay. Section three K basically says that software per se is not patentable. Correct. Yeah. And uh, you know the interpretation of per se has been twisted, and uh, mm. that's been a game of football that's been going on for almost a decade now. Correct. Uh, and basically, uh, our view is that you know going by the parliamentary discussions, etc., the intent of the parliament was that mm. software should not be sub- uh, patentable subject matter in India. the reason we will continue to see push by the mnc's and others is because mm. you know these are the largest patent holders anywhere in the world and the balance Correct. of power in software patents is with uh, the mnc's mm. and if patents are allowed in india they will be able to charge royalties from the domestic uh, Correct. you know software yeah. technology players Correct. so this is and there's billions of dollars at stake so this is never not going to go away unless and until the indian government says that you know the term per se is removed from the section 3k of the indian patent act correct so uh, yeah could you have some thoughts on this i think i agree with what uh, venki is saying but um, mm. i think you know the future will belong to or given that we are living in a world which is still dominated by the companies mm. i think india needs to invest in building its own ip and that means we need to have our yeah. own patents we see a number of indian services companies patenting whatever products or solutions they are building in us and other key markets so mm. so clearly i think um, i yeah. don't see this is an era where patents will not exist i think patents will become e- an even more important uh, 
tool for uh, supremacy yeah. or whatever you want to call it in this new technology era that we're looking Correct. at. And also, you know, just to get your thoughts on this is, I mean, you know, when these initial debates were happening in the 90s, that time it was the world of globalization. I mean, everybody thought, you know, barriers are falling every yeah. everywhere and we are, it's a flat world and all that. But now that's not the world that seems to be emerging. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, the ideas of democracies and, you know, trade barriers and all, all of those things have actually sharpened quite, uh, quite substantially. So Venki, what do you, I mean, do you, what do you think, what, I mean, these things about patenting, etc. I mean, uh, should, should government get more serious about patenting or, or do you think that now, now that the terms of engagement have changed, I mean, uh, do we, do we, does open source or, you know, free, do those debates need a new, uh, kind of dimension to it? So, uh, so now I think we are living in an era where data is abundant and I think okay. that, so if you look at the, the commonality between say code and uh, data mm. and you know the ideals of the open source movement, uh, the ideals were collaboration, community and the shared ownership of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and within that context, you know, the proliferation of data and the fact that, you know, it's only a few players who are able to monetize that data. Yeah. I think we now need to move to an era where it's not just the platforms mm. that benefit from our data, but individuals are able to leverage and yeah. are empowered with their own data. So, in a sense, I see a commonality the open source movement because the open source movement was about the fact that you know, okay. even a college student sitting in uh, Sweden or any other part of the world should be able to write an operating system in Finland or yeah. any other part of the world. and. That was the empowerment that open source enabled. Now, if we can build systems where individuals can take control of their data, be mm. you know in full control of yeah. how other people monetize it, how how they are able to kind of leverage it for loans, etc. Mm. Then I think that empowerment narrative uh, can be brought into the world of data. Excellent. And I think collaboration, community, the shared ownership of knowledge, yeah. uh, and you know preventing monopolization of knowledge will be. These yeah. are themes which are actually a lot more relevant in the world of data. Great. And finally, you know, I mean, when we talk about, you know, technological access and, you know, the ubiquity of mobile phones, etc. But what is really, I mean, the, the main debate or the main feature of, of public technology debate is privacy or rather the loss of it. And, you know, squaring our everyday lives with the reality that, you know, we are constantly being mined for commercial ends. So what can the open source movement contribute, you know, to, you know, to the whole, uh, to the whole privacy debate or practical applications of protecting our privacy, etc. What can the open source movement contribute, uh, you know, beyond activism and legislative participation to make, you know, ordinary Indians every day more informed and more empowered about, you know, protecting their privacy. So I'll begin with you, Venki, first and then, you know, have Sangeeta and so I think clearly there is need for new approaches and uh, what mm-hmm. might happen in the next few years is that you know there are personal AI tools which will act as data brokers between me and the platform. So mm-hmm. I will I need not be I need not you know surrender my privacy to be able to access say book recommendations and uh, music recommendations from mm-hmm. uh, from platforms. You know so. Uh, and these, most of these tools will be built on the back of open source. And, uh, okay. 
Uh, the other bit of it is that uh, the platforms that are being built out in India, like the account aggregator, etc., these are all built on top of open source, which mm. you know, the whole idea and the intent is to give people more control of their data. That, mm. you know, if, if I give you my data and, you know, I should be able to be, uh, revoke access to that data. Okay. Uh, so I think these are, again, you know, uh, using open source principles of empowering individuals with code and uh, data. Okay. Sangeeta, do you see that as a very idealistic uh, interpretation of what open source could do? Because ultimately, when a product is made, you know, I mean, the, the, I mean, I mean, it could be just a, a simple game, but you know, if it's offered for free, you know, the aim is ultimately to be able to mine some information about it, whether it is open source, even if it is built on any open source platform. So what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I think the whole data privacy issue requires, I think, every creator, mm. right, to build trust. And I think trust is going to be one important feature for the, for any data led industry as we move forward. I think mm. from an open source perspective, I think there can be two or three different roles, uh, that the open source sector could play. One is, I think, if you see organizations like the Mozilla Foundation, yeah. they're doing a lot of good work in demystifying what private, privacy notices for the average user need, right? And how could they make privacy aware decisions? So one is the whole evangelization piece that open source can help with. I think the second point is what Venki said that you create tools and, you know, which will help organizations either enhance their compliances on privacy or create the intermediary between me and the data, uh, you know, the organization that is providing me the tool or the software to do that. So I think the second is these open source tools and solutions that can ensure that a user's privacy stay intact. I think the third can be about, uh, Mm. you know, helping privacy maturity discussions or building frameworks, et cetera, like this, like open source came up. How do you, how do you build thinking around all of that? So I think open source has a very key role to play and, uh, we will see, uh, I think particularly the whole tools and practices become mm. even more important as, as the data discussions become more important than they are today. <laughs> Yeah. And do you think government has a major role? I mean, like legislation, strict legislation, you know, more governmental. Legislation is, is, is important. And I think the government has a data protection bill that Correct. we have tabled in the parliament. But I think, you know, our focus as NASCOM has also been about practices. Mm. Um, it, it should not only be about regulations, but I think how do you have the right practices that will mm. help people comply with these regulations is equally, if not more important. Okay. Mengi, uh, final thought. Anything on the role of government and legislation? So, government has two roles. One, mm. you know, as uh, as the lawmakers, uh, they have to ensure that yeah. they, you know, ens- that they pass laws that benefit uh, the citizens. And the second is that the mm. government is also one of the largest data controllers, and yeah. you know, apart from the platforms. Uh, so how do they, uh, what kind of governance do they have around the data, you know, uh, is going to be a really, really critical part of Great. how the data ecosystem in India evolves. Excellent. I think we've had a fantastic, very productive discussion. So thank you, Venki and Sangeeta for taking time out and speaking to us in this. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. And, thank uh, you so much. Yes. Appreciate.